If you'll keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8, that's where we're going to study this morning. Acts chapter 8, such a powerful book because the book of Acts reveals what happened when great men preached a great message of the gospel. You see, this is a wonderful book because it records for us the events of those who were going about carrying the Lord's gospel into all the world. You see, this gospel had the power to transform the lives of real people. Men who in their former method of life and pattern of life had been going about sinning and it had a power to change them into new people. You look at the background that many of these people came from and how it changed their lives. And hopefully as we study, we can see how it changes our lives. But what is important and what is of great interest is the appeal of the gospel to every man and woman and child in this world. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, whether you were rich or poor. Paul would say to the Romans, So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith into faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's what we want to look at as we study Acts chapter 8, and we're going to study the first half of this wonderful chapter. We're going to get, begin by looking at the preacher. We're going to look at the life of Philip as he preaches the gospel. Number two, we're going to look at the people. He's going to go to the Samaritans. Who are these people and why is it so important that they hear the gospel next? Then we will look at the presentation of the truth. He went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. When one preaches Christ, when one preaches the kingdom of God, what does he teach? And then finally, we will look at a problem that develops. There's a man by the name of Simon. He becomes a Christian, but immediately after becoming a Christian, he falls prey to the devil's temptation. Let's take a few minutes now. Let's take our Bibles and let's begin, first of all, with the preacher. If you'll remember, back in Acts chapter 6, there had arisen a situation of the widows who were Greek-speaking were being neglected in the daily serving of tables. The Lord, through the apostles, said, Choose seven men whom we may appoint over this business. They were to be men full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, men who were of good, sound quality. And we know two of those seven became great preachers. In Acts chapter 7, we have recorded the message of Stephen. With great power, he preached that sermon and he lost his life for it. When you get to Acts chapter 8, you find there's another one there by the name of Philip. But what do you know about Philip? Other than that he was one of the seven. Well, if we go to Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, Luke says, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. 
and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. First thing you learn now, he is called the Evangelist. Sometimes we seem to get caught up on titles. Most of the time I try to emphasize to people, you call a person by what he does. If a person is a plumber, he is Joe the plumber. If he is someone else, you call him by what he does. Well, somebody will say, what do you call you? Call me a preacher. That's what I do. I preach. The closest thing that you have to that in the Bible as a title is an evangelist. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul would say to Timothy, he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in the kingdom, preach the word. Be urgent in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and convince with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers after their own lust. And then in verse 5, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist is a person who heralds, who preaches, who declares the good news of Jesus Christ. That's who Philip is. He is an evangelist. But we learn he's also hospitable. Luke says, we came and we stayed with him. He was a man who would open his house. He would be a fellow worker for the truth. Romans 12 verse 13 says, distributing to the necessities of saints, given to hospitality. But the third thing you learn about him, he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. This was exactly what the Holy Spirit had said through the prophet Joel. If you remember the quotation that Peter provides in Acts 2 verses 17 and 18, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now you might say, what was the significance of drawing attention to that? I want you to observe, Philip is a man who was good charactered enough that he was chosen to be one of the seven. He was a man whose heart was in the gospel because he was an evangelist. He was a man who had concern for others to the point that he opened his home. But he's also a man who has a spiritual household. Those in his family, his daughters, were able to prophesy. Now what this did, this provided an opportunity for a man like Philip to show himself as a preacher of the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Now Saul was consenting to their death, or his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. What happened was this great persecution that arose while Paul, or at that time known as Saul, was persecuting the church. 
those who were a part of that church, except those apostles, went everywhere. Verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So you begin with our study of Acts 8 realizing Philip is the preacher. But number two, let's talk about the people. He said he went down to the city of Samaria. The city at this time was known as Sebasti. That's close to the city of today of Nablus, which is the, one of the main Palestinian cities in Israel today. But the population was a mixed race known as Samaritans. They took their name from the area in which they lived, but they were not an indigenous people. They're not the people who were originally settlers there who would have been Israelites. How do I know that? We well, go back to 2 Kings 17, verse 24. And there it says the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, from Cuthath, from Ava, Hamath, from Severim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of the Samaria and dwelt in their cities. You have people from various locations who have been brought there to settle. We know something else about these people. They were the enemies of God and his people, even though they feigned at time worshiping the same God. When Ezra returned, he found these people and they wanted to be a part of the reconstruction of the temple. And Ezra records that now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard the descendants of the captivity were rebuilding or building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the father's houses and said, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do and have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria. You see, they said, we worship God like you do. No, that's not correct. They didn't worship God like the Jews did. And in fact, Zerubbabel told them in verse 3, you may do nothing with us to build the house of the Lord our God, but we alone, we're going to be the ones who are going to build this house. We do know that the Jews developed a hatred and a distrust of the people who lived in Samaria. That's easily illustrated by what the woman at the well said in John 4, verse 9. It said, she, she said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? They didn't talk to them. They didn't trade with them. They didn't interact with them. And the woman was amazed that Jesus would do that. Later in John chapter 8 is they wanted to insult Jesus. They wanted to say something negative about him. And it says, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You wanted to insult a fellow Jew. You just said, hey, you're a Samaritan. So you recognize these people don't have a good history with the Jews. 
we do know they were confused religiously. Because the woman that Jesus met at the well, who was a Samaritan woman, she explained to Jesus that there was a, a misunderstanding about where. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. That's Mount Gerizim, by the way. And you Jews say Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus explained to her, he says, The time is coming which neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. And he goes on to explain that God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, they didn't even know where to worship acceptably. Something else that you learn about these people is there was a mixed reaction to Jesus. In fact, it's very interesting if you read the whole chapter of John chapter 4 and you see the interaction that Jesus had with the woman, you realize that Jesus ends up going into the city. And if you read there, it says in verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who had testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. They said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. Now listen carefully. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Folks, here are Samaritans who are listening to Jesus and they're saying, we know you're the Christ. We know you're the Savior. But it didn't always continue that way. Luke's record in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And Luke records it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Some of the Samaritans said, this is the Christ. Other of the Samaritans said, we won't have him in our city. We do know they were not a part of the limited commission. When the Lord called the disciples to himself and sent them out on a limited commission, he said to them, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Initially, the Lord's commission was go to the Jews, go to the Jews only. But when you have Jesus ready to ascend back into heaven, as he is giving the marching orders to his apostles, he said to them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you will, the gospel began with a nucleus in Jerusalem. It spread into Judea. Then it spread to Samaria. And then it goes to all the earth.
Now, what did Philip say? There's just some very simple statements. In John, or Acts chapter 8, verse 5, it says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Verse 12, it says that he went and preached things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. In Acts 8 and verse 25, it says that he preached the word of the Lord to them. Now I would ask, what does it really mean to preach Jesus? What does it really mean to preach Christ to someone? Well, you go one chapter further about Paul, and it says in Acts 9 and verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. When you preach Christ, you're not just preaching there was a man who was born in Bethlehem, who grew up in the city of Nazareth, who had some great words. What you are saying about him is that he is the Son of God. That's the bottom line. He is God in the flesh. There's so many passages to which one could go for that. But second of all, you preach him crucified. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. Crucified. He was the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Whenever you preach Christ crucified, you're saying he didn't deserve what he received. He did it because you and I had sins that had to be paid for, and he paid for them. You also have to preach the resurrection of the dead. In Acts 17 and verse 18, when he had encountered the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection You remember when we studied Acts chapter 2? That was the defining proof that he was the Son of God. God did not allow him to stay in that tomb. The tomb was found empty. He was resurrected from the dead. The first fruits of those who shall be resurrected from the dead. But the text says he also preached the kingdom of God. Now what does that involve? Well, Jesus had previously taught, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he sent the disciples on the limited commission, he told them in Matthew 10 and verse 7, Preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is the church. The church is the kingdom. It was coming And it arrived in Acts chapter 2 at the preaching of the gospel. Jesus said, Matthew 16, verse 18, I say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. The church and the kingdom are one and the same. 
They have the same requirements to be added to it. You remember Acts 2, verse 38? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were, you can underline that word, added to them. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church. We learn from Colossians 1 and verse 13 that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. But now briefly, let's look at the problem that arises. The devil will not allow good to go unimpeded. The devil's going to try to get in the way anytime the Lord's church is doing well. Peter says to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, or like a roaring lion, seeks whom he may devour. He doesn't want the church to succeed. He doesn't want the church to do well. I think back at chapters 4 and 5, the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5. Such a, a great, enthusiastic time for the Lord's church. We read the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but all had they all had all things common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The church was unified, the church was doing well, the church was growing. There were people gave generously. They saw there was needs among their brethren and they said, we've got something, we'll sell it. Barnabas has a piece of land, he sells it. He brings it and lays the money at the apostles' feet in verse 37. But then you move right into chapter 5. And you're introduced to Ananias and Sapphira. And what they do, they have a piece of property, they sell it, they bring a part of the price They lay it at the apostles' feet and leave the impression they've given all. Verse 4. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Oh, the devil, he... While the church is growing, the church is doing well, what does he do? He puts a temptation for glory in front of Ananias and Sapphira and they bite the temptation. Well, now you come to chapter 8 and you learn that Philip is preaching and it's amazing, people. Look again at verses 6 and 7. It says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. What do you you see here? The power of the Holy Spirit that was given then was impressing people. The message was impressing them and the healing was impressing them. Among those who were present was a man by the name of Simon who has previously been a sorcerer. 
He's been giving out that he's someone great, and they're all just saying, boy, he's really talented, really capable. Verse 12 and 13, but when they believed Philip, as he preached things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. But here's the problem that arises. He sees the power and he sees the potential to make profit off of this. And so he really wants that. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered the money, saying, Give me this power also that upon anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, this, this is what I want. This is what I, I, I can use. I can make money off of this. Simon is going to be rebuked by Peter. Peter does not mince words. Peter does not flower it with language. Peter says, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Boy, Simon, you've allowed yourself to be tempted by the devil and you've accepted his allurement. I'm thankful to tell you that Simon repented. Verse 24, Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. He recognizes now I have mistakenly tried to do something which was not right. Pray for me. I want to work this out. Now here's an observation. While Satan can create problems, God has a solution. You repent and you're restored. You may have been at a point in your life where you felt like things were going great and then all of a sudden the devil put a, a stumbling block in front of you and you give in. You can come back and be restored immediately. Some areas of the world are not very inviting and some of them may even have a history of problems. If you were to look at Samaria and you just say, well, should we go to Samaria or not? Many people say, let's just skip them and let's go on to the Gentiles. Let's just bypass these people. They've had a history of problems. They seem to can't get their act together. No. Everybody is important. God meant for the gospel to go into all the world, to every person. Very simply stated, the Great Commission in Mark's account, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who is, believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And even the people who had become Christians were not immune to sin. That means that I'm not, you're not. 
After we become children of God, the devil is constantly trying to get us. But we learn in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. This morning, what a powerful lesson was provided for us by the scriptures in Acts chapter 8. We learn what we need to do to become a child of God. We learn there what we need to do if we are failing as God's children. What a great passage it is. We're going to sing the song, Jesus the Loving Shepherd, calling us home. Will you respond to that great invitation as together we stand and sing?